Go to Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse number 1. Familiar portion of Scripture during this time of the year, and uh, Luke 2 is probably one of the most read passages uh, that uh, you would read during this time of the year. Luke chapter 2, and we're definitely uh, uh, in the uh, uh, Christmas season, if you would, and uh, do a, I, I love this time of the year, I really do, and uh, I love what it means, I love the depth of it. But uh, this is the scriptural introduction, if you would, to this time. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of David, uh, out of the the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, uh, to be taxed with Mary as a spouse wife, being great with child. And it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, uh, the angels of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were going away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they had made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told by them, rather by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things They had heard and seen as it was told them. You pray with me and for me this morning as we preach on the subject, nativity no-shows. Nativity no-shows. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at the subject today. I thank you, Lord, that we've been given the opportunity to come together this morning, maybe online or here, a few here at the church, and we thank you for that. But, Lord, we do pray that you give us grace to meet. We thank you, Lord, that we can pay attention closely to the Scriptures this morning. And, uh, and many of, uh, of what's going on in our life is much, much, so much distraction, so much deterring, uh, that, uh, that we sometimes can, can lose the message. And I pray that you help us to be good stewards of this historical time that we're privileged to live in. And give us grace, Lord, to go back 2,000 years, and go back to a little city, and uh, go back to a little town, go back, Lord, to a little manger, and look at the wonder of what this is. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to examine, uh, Lord, those that were not there, 
and thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said, for most people, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. I mean, to me, I love it. Uh, We were talking, I think this morning, my wife said, uh, I was talking about the meat we're going to be roasting and what we wanted to do. I mean, I like to do another... Uh, I like to do another uh, uh, deer uh, backstrap. That was pretty good. We wrapped deer backstrap, stuffed it with some uh, uh, some uh, some some tr- cream cheese and some bacon, seasoned it, wrapped it in bacon, and smoked it, brother, for about two hours, and it was that delicious. But I don't have I don't have the say in that, so we're going to do uh, I think beef this year again. Uh, but uh, that was a wonderful thing to do. I, I just love this time of the year. I love what we uh, get to celebrate. It's a time of the year when you think about God sending His Son into this world, the sin cursed, wicked world. And, uh, and uh, to die for our sins. Uh, what an what a advent, first advent of Christ, uh, the incarnation of our Savior. So we got family gatherings, we got delicious meals, we got trees, we got tinsel, we got presents, we have uh, music. It's a time of giving, it's a time of receiving. And I know the commercialization of this. You go into Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and uh, Santa Claus is coming to town is the music you're going to hear. You're not going to hear much of a Savior coming. And that is continuing, as you know, uh, to get more and more uh, away from what it really means. But for most of us that are Bible believers, man, it is a time for us to be thankful. Uh, We're appreciative of the most precious gift that we could possibly receive, a Messiah, one that was going to redeem us. But for others, Christmas is not a joyful time of the year. There's, there's people in Finley right, right now, Finley, Ohio, they're sitting down, and there is no family. Their husband walked out on them two years ago and took all the kids, uh, and uh, she's left alone, and, or vice versa. Uh, or they lost their husband, they lost their wife, and they're sitting in a lonely house, and they're looking at walls, and they don't listen to Christmas music. It's not a, it's not a joyful time for them. And, uh, and that is a reality for even others. And, and, uh, and so Christmas is, in many respects, painful uh, for some people. And uh, sometimes it's a time of overindulgence. We just eat too much. We gain too much weight. We got food. We overspend. We, 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 uh, we have to pay the credit card bills off. That, and it takes us all winter to get back in shape. And uh, so Christmas is a time for many people, a different way of celebrating. But, but, I, but I'm trying to put together this thought here. When you see the nativity, that embodies everything about what Christmas is. The nativity is an incredible visual of what it is. And it's one of the most amazing scenes and one of the most controversial scenes that you'll find uh, uh, today. Uh, nativity has been, been uh, attacked by atheists. Atheists hate the nativity. Uh, and I appreciate when a couple or a family puts nativity in front of their home. We've been talking about doing that and try to do that this uh, uh, every year, but we just don't get around to it. But I appreciate churches that have nativity scenes. I appreciate families that have nativity scenes because it is a simple reminder of a profound truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the nativity. And every person represented in that nativity uh, is glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. They're looking many times down uh, at this little baby, baby Jesus, and it stands as a constant reminder that Jesus loved the world. The nativity speaks of the world that someone came down from heaven to die for the sin-cursed world. 
The nativity, it explains and it gives an unthinkable price that was going to provide salvation for the lost. The problem that I see with the nativity is that there's some people that, for the most part, should have been there. There are no-shows. And, and you think about it, uh, it, it, it they, they were, these people that should have been there were part of the plan uh, to bring the Savior into the world, but they weren't there at the time they got when he was born. And so think about it. You got the wise men. I know the wise men that came from the east uh, uh, came approximately two years after the birth of Christ. But in nativity scenes across the world, they kind of combine the two events from the wise men to the shepherds and to the angels. And they sort of put them all together into one scene. And so for for lack of uh, of confusion, the wise men are are definitely two years after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, they're put into that scene, so to speak, to to note that there was something bigger happening in the world than just in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem. Uh, these men most likely came over from Babylon reading the writings of Jeremiah and, uh, and studying the scriptures uh, of Daniel uh, to come up with the idea that there is going to be a savior that's going to come from the Jewish people. But think about it, you have the wise men uh, in the nativity, you have the shepherds there, and they're usually there with the staffs, and then you have the angels uh, above them singing uh, the song that they've sung here in chapter 2. You have Mary, you have Joseph, uh, you have there in the, in the, in the, in the uh, manger, you have uh, there Jesus, and even the animals, you have them uh, typically represented in a nativity. But everyone in the nativity is someone that is portraying a worshiping of Jesus Christ. Looking down, usually they have a light coming out of the of the place that he would be laying. And the angels, according to uh, Luke chapter 2, are worshiping God. The shepherds are coming to worship him. The wise men came to worship him. And the even the animals in their own way are portrayed as somehow being thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it's uh, clear that the even the animal kingdom will bow down and worship God. And so it's not unscriptural. And so you see people involved in the nativity when you see it are typically people that are worshiping the Lord. But we come away with the impression that Jesus died for only people that loved him. We come away with the idea that Jesus was there because there were people that were going to worship him. But I want to remind myself that he came into this world to give his life he came into this world, and he was going to be among people that would worship him. But the large majority of people that the Lord Jesus Christ would be around would be those that hated him. In Mark 10, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and he gave his life a ransom for many. Now, that's a long way from a nativity scene today. Because the nativity scenes that you see today are mostly filled with those that are worshiping here. Can I say and submit this to you? There were a lot of people involved in the, the first advent of Christ that did not show up at that nativity scene. They did not show up at the birth of Christ. They were used by God to bring about the Savior 
but they weren't there. And what I need to remember at this time of the year, Christmas, is that, that uh, really throughout the year, that Jesus Christ did not come to the world to die for people that loved him. Because no one loves God naturally. He came into his own, the Bible says. Who is that? The Jewish people. And his own received him not. He came into a harsh, hateful, dangerous, self-righteous, god Hating world is anything but peaceful. And he came to give his life for those that wanted to kill him. Wow. What a contrast from our nativity scenes that we've seen. That's why the Bible says they are, they that are whole need no physician. But they that are sick, I came to call Sinners under repentance is what I would like to do if a few minutes that we have together is look at this nativity from a completely different angle. I've never done this before. Who was supposed to be there? Who are the no-shows of this nativity? I want to just put some people into this nativity scene. You've got Mary, you've got Joseph, you've got baby Jesus, you've got the angels, maybe you've got the star hanging from the ceiling, you've got the wise men over here with their three gifts, and I believe there was probably more like a hundred wise men if you want to look at the historical accuracy of the wise men coming from the east, but they got three because there's three gifts, and then you have all the shepherds over here, and they're sitting there looking at Jesus. You've got the animals, a donkey, and uh, you've got other things that are there. And it's just a beautiful scene. But just if you would, put behind them these other people. And I don't think that those people would be too happy to have him in this world. Nativity no-shows. And who do we leave out? And while we were not there, God did not leave them out of his love and his grace. Every one of the people that I mention you, the groups of people that I'm mentioning to you, are people that God loved. God loved. And they do represent groups. The first one here is in verse number one. Very interesting person. First person missing here is verse number one. No show. Verse number one. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from who? Caesar Augustus. That all the world should be taxed. Verses 1 through 6 kind of explain this uh, order, this taxing, if you would. And, uh, and Caesar Augustus, uh, the nephew of, by the way, Julius uh, Caesar and, uh, and his successor, uh, he chose out of thin air, if you would, out of just maybe a thought. You know what? I think we should just tax the world. There's no reason given to why this taxing would go forth. But he came up with an idea that I want to tax the world. Now, the word August or Augusta means great. Uh, in fact, I found that in the 1828, the word August is a shortened word uh, for Augustus. And it si- simply means all, to be in awe of, grand, <laughs> magnificent. And he named himself, by the way, Augustus, because he was grand. He was, he was the cat's male, so to speak. This dude thinks he's something, right? So he comes up with the idea. Let's tax the whole world. I'm grand. I'm, I'm great. By the way, the, the, the month of August is named after Augustus. Very interesting fact there. Simply means 
I'm going to take a tax. I'm going to take a census. And he wanted to know maybe how many people were in his kingdom. He wanted to perhaps uh, uh, have a, a preparation tax for leveling at the people to raise revenue. I don't know the reason for the tax. We just know that there's a tax. And he probably thought, man, this is a good idea. But where did that thought come from? What Augusta did not know is that God was giving him the idea to tax the world to bring about his plan. And the thought here is the true living God, not Augustus, not some pagan God that he's worshiping, was using this poor, ignorant Roman to bring about his will. That is amazing. What Augustus did not know is that God was using him The ruler of the most powerful empire in the world is going to be used by God to accomplish something that he did not understand. So the first point is it represents groups of people who are no-shows to the nativity, the ignorant. Augustus was an ignorant Roman emperor. He had no idea what he was doing. And let me say this while we're here. God does not necessarily use good people To accomplish his will. (laughs) There are some that do not want God to use them that he uses. (laughs) There are some that believe that God doesn't exist and he still uses them to accomplish his will. Augustus is a good point. God uses wicked people. God uses people that hate him. God uses people that curse him. God used Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. So God can use people from the strangest of tribes to the emperors across this world to accomplish his will. He's been doing this for 6,000 years of human history. And we really have no way of knowing the human reasoning why Augustus would say, let's tax the world. Have no idea. There's not mentioned in the scripture why he did that. But we do know, however, that God was behind the scenes. And he was doing something that he would not have understood. I'll ask you, if you want to, to turn to the book. Leave your finger there. Go to the book of Galatians. There's a couple of verses in Galatians that will give you a, if you would, insight to what was happening in heaven to fulfill a prophecy that Augustus was going to be a part of ignorantly. I'm saying the no-shows at the, at the nativity would be the ignorant, the Augustuses of the world. Watch what it says in verse 4, Galatians 4 and verse number 4. Now watch this phrase. But when the fullness of time was come, I want to come back to that phrase in a little bit. God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. It's interesting here, this phrase in verse number four, when the fullness of time was come. In other words, there was a clock in heaven. God God was counting. It wasn't full until this time. Watch this. One preacher said it this way. It was almost as if the taxing was the very first thing. It was as if God says, I'm going to start this series of events by this decree. So when the taxing went forth, it set in motion all the way to the crucifixion and the resurrection, the beginning of the New Testament church. And so we find here that God works on time or God works 
on a clock. That's why it says a fullness of time. I'll ask you not to turn there. If you'd like to, you could. But Romans eleven twenty five, we are still in a clock. We're in a time. We're waiting for the second advent of Christ. The first advent was uh, fulfilled when the fullness of time was come. God says it's time. Tax the world, Augustus. Oh, I think I'm going to tax the world. Thank you. <laughs> he taxes the world. He's ignorant. He has no idea what he's doing. He's bringing about the fulfillment of Scripture. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. But it happened at the fullness of time. We are in another time period. The Bible talks about us being in the times of the Gentiles. In fact, it says in Romans eleven twenty five, for I would not brethren that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Conceit, it's birth deceit. It's conceit is, is coming from inside. You lie to yourself. Here's what it says, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So that's a very interesting phrase. Right now, Israel, for the most part, is in blindness to the gospel. But there's a time that that is going to change, and it says here, the fullness of the Gentiles become in. A very interesting phrase in Luke 21 talks about the time of the Gentiles. In fact, it says times, plural, of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Can I just say this way that God, I'm not going to go into that right now. God works on clocks. I don't know the clock. I don't know God's timing in heaven, but he's working on a time period. The first advent, the fullness of time was come. Set this tax out. It's going to set in motion prophecy. That's why I think as much as I hate it, COVID-19 is not an accident. It didn't come by accident. Well, it came out of a Wuhan virus. It's a China virus. It may be. But God used Caesar Augustus, a wicked emperor who thought he was God, to bring about his plan. God can use a virus, a COVID-19, a COVID-20, COVID-21, to bring about his plan. We do know, according to Matthew 24, that in the last days, there's going to be pestilences, plural, more than one. So COVID-19 is not an accident. We're not living, if you would, by accident. The living, uh, what we're seeing is right now in, 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 in our eyes, in our ears, is Bible prophecy being fulfilled. It's the most amazing time in history to live. As a New Testament church, we have been privileged to see what we see, to hear what we hear, to observe what we're observing. That's why the Bible says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving you realize an evil man and a seducer wants to deceive and being deceived? That's why in these days, the church needs to be the church. That's why in the last days, there many shall be offended. Many shall portray one another. Many shall hate one another. But all down through history, God has worked through very difficult times. Caesar Augustus, I'm going to put an idea in his heart. He doesn't know what's, what's going to happen. But I want you to tax the world. He has no idea what he's doing. But God worked all throughout human history to bring about his will until the fullness of time has come. He worked through the kings, worked through the judges, he worked through the patriarchs, he worked all the way through even the silent years of Israel to bring about this taxing. And think about this. God sent Jesus when many of the human conditions were perfect, almost perfect. And if I could say it this way, perfect. 
Some of the conditions were the Roman law. Roman law protected Paul. There was Roman peace. In fact, there was two centuries with the exception of frontier expansion in the Roman Empire where there was relatively no war. Roman peace. There was Roman roads in these days. In fact, some of those roads are traveled today. I traveled those roads, uh, same routes and the same, uh, same trade routes that the Romans put in four th- or 2,000 years ago are still in existence today. Excellent Roman uh, systems of travel, which would en- enable the gospel to go all over the world within a matter of years. The Greek language, most common language spoken in the world at that time, we still use Greek language today. So when Augustus issues this decree, let me just go back to this. When he issues this decree, he did not know that Micah 5.2 was being put in place. You got this little couple, Jewish couple, teenagers, maybe just married, 17, 18 years old. If that, Joseph, a carpenter, uh, probably a tradesman, just maybe in his uh, late teens himself, uh, uh, they're, they're going to be married. They're excited about this. They're in this uh, kind of a rundown town north of Israel, in Israel, called Nazareth. In fact, it's kind of one of those towns that you didn't want to, n- nothing good comes out of this town. It's not really a, a well-spoken town. And so it's kind of, if you would, a, kind of a run-of-the-mill town, maybe a little less than run-of-the-mill. And so when this taxing goes into place, It causes this espoused couple to have to go and travel to the southern part of Israel, at least to the middle part of Israel, to the city of David, which would be Bethlehem, about five to ten miles outside of Jerusalem. It's a long, long, long hike. Any of you that have been to Israel with me know it's about a a three-and-a-half-hour drive doing 60, 70 miles an hour. It would take quite a while to get down there. But he was fulfilling Micah 5, 2, when it says, But thou, Ephrathah, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from the old and from everlasting. Had no idea. Can I just say this? Because Mary and Joseph were taxed, it required him to go back to a place he most likely has never been the place of his ancestry birth, city of David, prophecy being fulfilled. The point is this, Augustus was was ignorant, but he was involved. He was involved by the hand of God, and yet he is just as much a part of the Christmas story as the wise men, as the shepherds, as Mary and Joseph, maybe as, not as Mary, but I'm telling you, he was part of it, and he wasn't there. He's a no-show. He was ignorant, ignorant. And Jesus came into the world to save people just like Augustus. Ignorant people. They don't know. He came to save those who are ignorant of God. Those that are living for themselves. He came to save the spiritually dead. He came to save the deceived, the depraved, and the doomed. Jesus came to save those that are lost. He came to save those who go through life as if there's no God. There are people that pass by our church when we're having church services and they have no idea what you're doing in that building. And yet, like Caesar Augustus, there are a lot of whosoever's out there that just don't know. They don't know. I was talking to a good brother in Christ 
uh, at, uh, at Meyer two days ago, a soul winner, goes to a different church, a soul winner. This guy doesn't stop soul winning, loves to witness to people every day, witness, tries to witness to one person every day. He feeds uh, people there at the mission, he said, and he's not touting his own righteousness. He's praising God for what God is allowing him to do. And, and he's just tearing up, and we're sitting in line, and I'm listening to him, and we're just having a shouting time. He says, Pastor, I was able to take some of the extra food from the mission with permission from the mission to some needy families in the town, and I found out there's a, a young Muslim girl that uh, was uh, there, and she was so happy to get some food, and she came out. We gave her some food. He says, I usually ask the question, if you die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? Of course, she had all the Muslim garb on. He knew she was Muslim. Muslim, and she said to she, but he said to me, he said, I didn't ask that question. I said, would you come to church? Now, here's what she said. I want to go to a Christian church. Is yours a Christian church? He says, absolutely it is. We teach about Jesus. She says, I want to go to Christian church. I hear that Christian is truth. I want to know about more about Christ. Wow. Do you realize in the community that we live in, there are people that are living in total ignorance of who Christ is? And we walk by them every day. Every day. Mike, was, Mike Smith was telling me of a guy, of a lady. You remember a, a dear lady. I'm not going to mention her name because we are live streaming. But she is a Muslim lady. She lives in Toledo. And she uh, came and visited our church several months ago. He got a chance to talk to her yesterday. And she says, oh, she says, the, the answer to prayer, God is blessed. And she says, I want to come back to church. And please, can I ask you, do you, do you social distance and have mass in your church? He goes, yeah, we, we, we'll try to. She goes, oh, please, please do. I want to come. That's interesting. I'm saying that there are people that are out there that are full of fear that they need Christ. They need hope. We have depression, anxiety, suicide, drug addiction, drug overdoses, all-time highs on these major five things. Why? Because people need hope. They need a church to be what it should be. But if I were to look at that nativity scene, I would say the no-show for that nativity scene was the ignorant first. They didn't know. But Jesus died for the ignorant. The second group, look back in Luke chapter 2, if you would. Luke chapter 2, verse number 7. The no-shows of the nativity, verse number 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now, there's a phrase here that we just, uh, we've built some, I think, some great truths from this. But I want to drill into this again. The phrase here is because there was no room for them in the inn. A very interesting study is looking at the inn in Bethlehem. You can find 2 Samuel and actually Jeremiah. You find a couple of references to perhaps the very inn that we're talking about, but that's just a different Bible study. But this person's interesting because it doesn't mention him, but we know that there were innkeepers. Innkeepers, they kept watch over the inn. They collected the money from the people that were going to stay there. And uh, in the Middle East, it would be (coughs) dangerous to travel. And especially at night, because most of what you, they didn't bank then. They didn't have their money. They would have it on their person. And so there was quite a bit of thievery and robbery in the Middle East, not like our modern day today. So they would need to have a place that they could rest 
and have some level of protection. So the ancient, if I could say it this way, inns, which would be our motels today, they would just be uh, kind of a fenced-off area with somewhat of a lean-to, a place for you to lay down, a place for you to sleep, surrounded enclosure, and shelters people to bed down that night. It really was something to provide travelers a bit of safety and rest. But the innkeeper would have been there, and I got in my mind... Here's Mary. She's on the back of the donkey. She's, she's probably hunched over. She's, the Bible says in verse 2, she's great with child. So she's about ready to deliver. And she's sitting on the donkey. The donkey's having a hard time because she's on the back. And so you can imagine, I'm picking on you know, the ladies. And so here is Joseph coming into the, the, the lobby there. And the, the guy on the other side, I got in my mind, he's smoking a cigar. He's got the Time magazine open. He's on the internet. He's surfing on his uh, uh, iPhone. And, and he asked, I need to come in. My wife is a great with child. She's going to have a baby and I need to have a place to stay. And he looks over the Time magazine and pulls up his iPhone and says, I have no room here. There's nothing here. I, there's nothing. I, and I can see over the shoulder of Joseph as Mary uh, probably saying something like, it's getting close. Let's go. And, and uh, innkeeper Joseph and Mary, the scene has been played in my mind a lot, probably because of the movies that I've seen on this. But whether it's correct or not, I, I don't know. But I will say this. The statement that he makes, there is no room, could have been different. Could have been different. He could have gave up his room. He could have gave up his bed. He could have given Mary and Joseph room, his room, for that night. Could have. I'm giving you a little speculation here. But his needs... His sleep was more important than Mary and Joseph's. After all, you know, he's the innkeeper. (laughs) This is a young couple from who knows where. I'll never see them again. So he points them maybe over to a manger. I don't know if it was his manger. I don't know whose manger it is. But get off my porch. The truth is the innkeeper was unmoved by Mary. Unmoved at all by this woman that's about to have a baby. Great with child. Now, I thought about this. God brings this man, unnamed man, face-to-face with the Savior of humanity. And without thought, without any discussion at all, he turns him away. Now, the innkeeper was really a very selfish, selfish man. But he's part of the Christmas story. I mean, without him, we don't have a manger birth. We didn't mention that he needs to be included. This man missed the birth of Christ because his needs were more important than Mary and Joseph. Think about this. And I Can you imagine if he was not selfish, if he were saying, you know what? I have a bed. That woman needs to get a bed. Take my bed. I'll take care of myself. You guys take care of this. You can you imagine the story, how different it would be that the very son of God was born in my room. No. Selfishness. This man missed the greatest event in history because of his own 
safety rather than others. Our world is filled with many people just like that, just like the innkeeper, just like they're filled with themselves, filled with people that are preoccupied with life, with themselves. They have no time for anyone. They have no time for anything else. The most important person in that person's life is themselves. Whatever is good for them. They don't care about others. They don't care about others and their needs. They don't care about others' discomfort. I know this to be true even in the Christian community. Hmm. But when they hear the gospel, they're just so selfish. They don't care. They don't think about God. They don't think about the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't think about the gospel of grace. They don't think about the things that are eternal. They're so wrapped up in themselves. The no-show, second no-show, is the selfish. But he died for selfish people. I dare say that the church is filled many times with selfishness. What is good for me? What are my rights? To realize in the Laodicean church, the Laodicean, the word Laodicean means rights of the people. People are more concerned about their rights than being biblically centered. That's just a fact, Jack. And there's no Jacks here, but if you're a Jack, that's to you. They're, they have agendas. They have desires. Good people. But they don't think through the pages of Scripture, the more politically motivated than they are biblically motivated, the more externally motivated than internally motivated by the Holy Spirit. Very rude people to say no to Mary and Joseph. I don't need you here. My comfort, my safety, my health is more important than you. Go somewhere else. They are part, by the way, of the whosoever's There are a lot of lost people like that today. They drive by the church. They have no concern for anyone else but themselves. Selfish people, self-centered people, prideful people can hear the gospel and get saved. That's why Jesus said in the last day, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man will thirst, let him come unto me and drink. That means whoever is prideful, whoever is filled with themselves can still get help. Second group, selfish people. This third group, and I may finish with this. I've got three more, but we don't have time. <laughs> we actually do have time. <laughs> Look at Luke 2, verse 15. This third group of people, I, 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 you know, again, not mentioned, but it's interesting. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even to unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when he had seen it, watch this phrase, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child, this child. And all, <laughs> verse 18, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Introduce this other group of people are people that I would say are just simply indifferent. Indifferent means simply this. They don't really care. I have no interest in it. 
Interestingly, the shepherds, they heard the message. They got the vision. They saw the, the, the manger. <clears throat> they met Jesus. They met Joseph. They met Mary. And they go out and they say, you're not going to believe what we saw, what we heard. And we're letting you know something amazing is happening right now in Bethlehem. Really amazing. And it says, when they heard it, verse 18, they wondered at those things which were told by the shepherd. The word wonder means they were impressed. They marveled. That's interesting. They were astonished. I mean, if you talk to them, you probably say, what do you think of that? I think that's pretty cool. They were amazed. That group uh, uh, were amazed by these maybe dirty uh, 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 maybe uh, uh, dirt-filled coats from the shepherds. They smelled like sheep. And here they are inside maybe the city of Bethlehem and other communities around there. And they're letting them know something marvelous is happening. Historical is happening. Prophecy is being fulfilled. You've got to see this. And wow, that's neat. The Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. He has come as a baby. And he's just over there. He's just... It's in Bethlehem. You'll, it's, it's just, you'll, you'll see it. It's, it's in a little manger. And those were the kind of things that probably they said to one another that night. And they heard the story. They were impressed. It was pretty cool. But how sad. Not one of them, according to the scripture, ever went. Not one. Now, the Savior of the world is very close by. You, you, you think maybe you should get interested in that. I mean, if you're a Jewish, are you all with me today? I feel like I'm drifting away here. You all drifting? Come back here. Uh, and maybe it's because of COVID. No, but, uh, but the point is, the Messiah is here. The one we've been looking for for thousands of years. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 starts to, to, to predict that he's coming. Well, he's here. And no one, according to the scripture, goes back. I think this third group here is people that are just in, I mean, they're wild. Oh, wow, that's a really nice message. I preach, 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 it was a great, great message. And, oh, you know what, preacher? I feel that when I listen to you preach, it's like sitting at the feet of Jesus himself. I said, well, I'll be back tonight. <laughs> we'll have another sermon tonight. No, not there. If you really thought that, which I'm not, but if you really thought that, you think maybe you come back tonight. I don't know. Too busy. Too preoccupied with life. Too indifferent, afraid of the cost. They hear a message, doesn't really change them or challenges them, but makes them feel, wow, that's a really good message. But it doesn't do anything to change their life. They miss the opportunity after opportunity to meet the Lord for themselves after they heard he was there. Wow. For whatever reason, they didn't go. They missed out on being in the most historically Beautiful scene in human history. They weren't there. Jesus came for people like that. He came for people that are just not interested. They're caught up in their own lives. They're caught up in their own plans. It borders being selfish, but it's a little bit different than selfish because it's a ho-hum attitude. It's like, I don't care. I have no interest. And such were some of you. Before you got saved. Some of you were witness to. You were told by a co-worker. Or a preacher. Or some family member. That if you don't get saved. You're going to die and go to hell. And you probably had the attitude like. I don't really care. I've had 
talks and discussions with people that when you bring up the spiritual, it's like you're talking to a log. You could talk about sports, talk about politics. You could talk about anything, but do not talk about religion. Don't talk about Christ. And they just go out to lunch. They go watching the TV again. Dial tone. Salvation is available for people like that. The message was appealing. Watch this. Every, every time you hear a sermon, you realize what God's doing to you. He's giving you another chance. God is passing close to you again. And maybe some of these people were in the very town that this was taking place in Bethlehem. I don't know. But every time a Christian invites you to be saved, God is passing by. Every time you feel that drawing from inside, that Holy Spirit, God is passing by. And do not take these heavenly invitations lightly because they could stop. The news that God loves you should impress you. The news that God loves you should impose something in you that says, I need to know more. The gospel message, a powerful message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But if you were to look at a manger scene, a nativity scene, they're not there. They're indifferent. They're indifferent. The last point, I'll leave the last of the five out. But this fourth point probably out of all of them, is one of the most staggering truths that I've discovered last couple of years, and I want to hit this again. Luke 2, verse 21, this kind of give you the insight to this. Luke 2, 21, it says, When eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, again, an unnamed person here, but I'm referring here to the religious leaders of that day. This, whoever did this, circumcision, was a rabbi, maybe located most likely, either in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem. And that rabbi would have circumcised, under the law, circumcised that child on the eighth day. And this religious man placed his hands on the very Son of God. I've had the opportunity to see that happen twice in my home. not trying to be descriptive on that, but it's amazing, amazing to see. The Jewish Messiah, right there, before him, vulnerable. But because of his religion, self-righteousness, didn't see it. Consider the chief priests and the scribes in Matthew chapter 2. When they were confused, all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. They had no idea what was happening. These men coming from the east, most likely 100 to 150 men coming into Jerusalem a couple years after the birth of Christ, and they're bringing gifts. They're wondering, where is Messiah? Where is the king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. And you read Matthew chapter 2, and you'll see they didn't know what they were talking about. So Herod, he calls in the, 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 the scribes, he brings them in. He says, you guys know the Bible, tell us, where's this Messiah going to be born? And they, of course, knew Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, that it would be in, indeed Bethlehem. Can I just say this? They're so caught up in their religion, they miss the Messiah. Miss them. I mean, you got a star that they didn't see that's predicted in Numbers 24, verse number 7. They got these, these, these Babylonians, most likely, coming 
to them and wanting to worship this king. You've got the political upheaval inside Jerusalem at this time. You've got Roman rule. You've got all kinds of things going on. Politically, you have civil unrest. And on top of all that, they're coming in saying, we want to worship this savior. Who is he? Where is he? We don't know. The people that, by the way, the people that should have known didn't get it. They were so full with themselves. Listen, if I were to look at the nativity scene, yes, it would be missing Caesar Augustus. There's no, he was part of it. It's missing the, the, uh, uh, the indifferent. He, it's missing those that are selfish. But in, maybe in the background, you could see all these scribes and Pharisees sitting back there. Missed it too. Wow. It reminds us of so many today that join churches to be religious and die and go to hell. Reminds us of many that went through the baptistry tanks or they went to a prayer meeting or their dad was a minister or they somehow know some scripture and they think that maybe they're some kind of connection to heaven. No, 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 no. Self-righteousness will take you right to hell. Without a life-changing, sin-killing, eternal thinking relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're going to die. And you're going to leave this world, and you're going to split hell wide open. Jesus died for people like you. He died for people like that. Self-righteous. They're religious, but they're lost. He died to deliver the deceived from their deception. I can go to Saul of Tarsus, self-righteous, righteous, and yet he was lost and needed to be saved. So if I looked at the nativity scene today, I would say, wow, beautiful. But Jesus didn't die for people that loved him. He died for people that even hated him. And they are no-shows, but they represent groups of people all over the world. And unfortunately, it finds its way, the mentality of the lost in these groups finds its way even into the body of Christ. It really does, unfortunately. And we leave out many times the ignorant the self, selfish people, the indifferent, the self-righteous are all part of God's amazing plan to save sinners. Now, if you're here this morning, you're watching online, say, Pastor, I feel like that's me. You realize the Christmas message is not just about the manger scene, which is an incredible scene. The Christmas message is about a Savior that was born to die. He came, into a, he came into a hating world, and they still hate Christ. They still hate his message. You would not believe what the churches are being faced with today, and maybe you do. The internal struggles that are going on in churches, the external struggles that are lied about, criticized, manipulated. Why? Because they hate Christ. They hate the gospel. But yet... Jesus loves him, and he's died for their sins. If you're here and you're joining us online, Jesus loved you 2,000 years ago when he gave himself to be a sacrifice for you. He loved you when they beat him. He loved you when they crucified him. He loved you when they put stripes on his back. He loved you when they nailed him to that cross. He loved you when they spat upon him. He loved you. When they plucked out his beard, he loved you. When they plaited a crown of thorns in his head, he loved you. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he loved you.
Yes, self-righteous. Yes, indifferent. Yes, selfish. Yes. Don't be a no-show in heaven because you're part of these groups that will not change. Don't be ignorant. The prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled are over 330, give or take two. The chances of one person fulfilling all 330 prophecies in the Bible is beyond a mathematical possibility. There's no way unless he was a son of God. Do the math. Don't be ignorant. And he's returning. He's coming back. What we're in today is part of God's plan. Part of God's plan. I preached a message a couple years ago. Did John see you? It's a scene in heaven that takes us to the future of those that are untold numbers of people praising God. But did he see you in heaven? John, did he see you? Was your face there? Was your face being recognized by John? Or were you a no-show? Because the Bible says, depart from me, for I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. You're not going to be a part of the family of God. You're not going to be having eternal bliss in heaven because you have failed to recognize who Christ is. You're too, you're too ignorant. Not an excuse. You just don't know. You're too self, selfish. You're too self-righteous, and you're too indifferent. Wherever you are today, Jesus loves you, and he died for your sins. Please get saved. Please accept Christ as Savior. And listen, for the church today that's watching, if you're exhibiting any one of the characteristics of any one of these groups, hey, let's put that, that put it at the cross. Let's be Bible believers. Let's be Bible believers. Let's set our hopes on heaven. Set our eyes on that which we cannot see. I don't like where we're living. I don't like it either. But this world is not my home. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. If the Bible says a, has a foundation whose builder and maker is God and that uh, is eternal in the heavens. And one day it's coming. It'll be here. Are you saved?